Women Abroad, be inspired by women who find their true selves living abroad. Melina Nardi is my guest today for the 27th episode of my podcast Women Abroad with me, Françoise Fallis. Melina is co-founder and head of strategy at Mila Brandeus, a company located in Valencia, Spain. Mila Brandeus is a creative agency with a focus on strategic brand building for small and big brands in all sectors. Her clients are very international. Her journey abroad led her to live in countries as diverse as the US, Palestine, Chile and Turkey. Though she faced multiple challenges, she speaks about life abroad with passion. She is a believer that we can push back the boundaries of what is possible. Enjoy the interview. Hello, Melina. Hi. Welcome on my podcast. I thank you for accepting my invitation to share your experience as a woman living and working abroad. Today, I would like to explore with you the idea of living as a foreigner and traveling with the spirit of adventure and risk-taking. Well, first you were born in Belgium from French and Italian parents, and the least we can say is that you have gained an extensive experience as a woman traveling alone in many countries, actually. You currently live in Spain. So, but before we dive into your story abroad, would you like to introduce yourself? All right. Well, the floor is yours. <laughs> thank you so much for having me here. It's nice to be able to share a little bit of my experience. So my name is Melina and um, I was born in Belgium indeed, but since then I have lived in nine different countries, sometimes for short periods of time and sometimes for quite expanded. Um, so mostly I've lived in countries for four to five years and now I'm on my sixth year here in Spain where I have um, set up a business. So I started a business with uh, two partners of mine from the moment I came here. So this has um, been this new adventure for me here. And, and would you like to say what business you started with your partners? We work in creativity and advertising. So I'm the strategy director. So I'm focused on everything that's related to brand strategy, marketing and communication strategy, more specifically helping brands find their voice and their identity both in their home country and internationally. So we work with brands all over the world from Canada to Hong Kong and, of course, here in Europe. Uh, and we really specialize on the international point of view of being able to help brands live internationally and reach customers that most of the time today are international. Mm, so the experience of living abroad can bring you bring your expertise in, in your business <laughs> yes me and, and my partners as well we have all lived in different countries so we all have that experience what brought you to Spain specifically initially the idea of going to Spain was because um, I really spoke Spanish having lived in Chile before and my husband also learned Spanish before because his twin brother lives in Madrid So to us, it was the logical, like we both spoke this language, his brother was here, so we were planning on going to Madrid, but then um, I 
I met with my partners who were friends from before. We, we used to work together in Chile. And then I came to Valencia to visit them because they were living in Valencia. And I just loved the city. So I came back to Turkey. Uh, it was before we moved. And I came back to Turkey and told my husband, we're not going to Madrid. We're going to Valencia. <laughs> and that was it. That was the end of the story. <laughs> so you, you made the decision. Yeah, he didn't know Valencia at all. He didn't know Spain. He had never come to Spain anyway. Valencia, I think it was a better fit for both of us because we were at the time living in Istanbul, which is a 20 million people city. And we were definitely both of us looking for something quieter, more human size. And Madrid was again living in a big city where Valencia is much smaller. It feels like a village, even though it's it's big enough. It's a million people, but it feels like a village. So we were really attracted to that, both of us. What was the first opportunity for you to move out of Belgium? And how did you experience this first stay away from home? Well, I moved away from Belgium pretty much after I graduated, because that's something that I had in my mind already from before. We so my dad is Italian and I always I grew up as an Italian in Belgium. And I always had this feeling of not being at home in Belgium. So I really was attracted to going to Italy. And we used to go to Italy for our vacations every summer with my parents. So for me, it was always like that. That was what was in my mind. So the moment I, I graduated pretty much, I, I, I moved out and I went to Italy, which for me felt more like going home, home. <laughs> rather than away from home. And, and what about France? Because your mom is French. Yes, uh, my mom is French, uh, but I, I only lived a very short amount of, of time in France um, for completely other reasons, actually. I don't have much of a connection with the country. I experience it to me more as a uh, something from afar. Like I still have some family there. My mom is from there, but I don't feel like I am French. I don't feel that connection at all. You feel more your Italian roots. Yeah, I feel definitely more my Italian roots, but I think it's also weird to say that I'm Italian because I'm so much more than that. I think that people who know me, they genuinely, they would say like, they never get bored with me because you never know which side of me you're going to get. And because like maybe in certain context, I can be more Belgian because I still have, you know, I grew up there. Other contexts, I may be very Italian, but then for other things, I'm very American. Like I really picked up a lot of things when I was living in Washington, D.C. and then in Chile. And I think that from every country that I lived in, I picked up things. So now I'm just a combination of all of that. And you don't know what you're going to get in the moment. Is it going to be Turkish Medina? Is it going to be Italian Medina? You don't know. You'll see. <laughs> so you are used to stretching yourself. And so cultural flexibility is seems to be quite obvious as a taken for granted um yeah well I, I come from a family of immigrants right I mean I have so many like genes from all over the place my my great-grandmother was Russian uh, my great-grandfather was Spanish and I have like you know all this a lot of um uh, Italian roots and, and from a lot of different countries all over like all over Europe at least Uh, including Russia. So I think that's part of me. Like I never 
belonged anywhere or had one only one identity. I it's my past, and then I just it made it very easy for me not to feel that I belonged in a specific place. Mm, so you currently quite feel like a citizen of the world or a modern nomad. <laughs> yeah, yeah oh, they would call it a third culture kid, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> a bit of everything. What is your main driver to decide to move? And what is your mindset when you travel abroad? What seems obvious maybe for you is not for many people who are not used to traveling as intensively as you are. I don't do a lot of planning. So I know like some people, they like they. Uh, they have to think through it a lot. They have to already find a job beforehand or, or a student program. I never, I never was like that. For me, it was just more like following the flow. Um, so, what do you mean by following the flow? The flow of things. So, for example, when I when I decided to go to Palestine, I was. I was living in the US, I was living in DC, and I was waiting for my work visa. And that was just the year of the elections. So um, it was a period of transition, and my visa wasn't coming. So it was just waiting and waiting. And so during many months, I could work, but I could not get paid. And I started like having this weird coincidence of like related to Palestine. I, I would go to a bar and then I would start talking to the person next to me and she was from Palestine. Or I would turn on the TV and they were talking about Palestine. Or I would like open a book and it was about Palestine. And it was like this constant, Palestine was constantly coming into my life in a very fortuitous way. Like a calling. I listened and I said, okay, fine. I got it. I, I listened and I went to Palestine. I said, well, until my visa comes, I can I'm not going to stay here and wait for it any longer and so I I just want to go to Palestine <laughs> as a tourist. Yeah, I mean I don't think you can go to Palestine as anything else because there's no official visa or anything like that, you know. It's not like you don't have a a visa system that you get. And I don't think you get there as a tourist either. I think if you get there is it's like you are just entering the country against the wishes of Israel. It's a, it's a bit of a different concept. Within 24 hours of arriving there, I had found a place and I had found a job. So, I started working right away. And so you did not wait for your work permit in the US. You settled in Palestine. As much as you can settle in Palestine, I don't know if you can actually do that. I stayed in Palestine until they kicked me out. So I was kicked out by Israel because that was in 2008. And in, I don't know if end of 2008, during Christmas time, um, the war of Gaza started. Israel attacked Palestine pretty heavily and kicked out all of the foreigners outside of Palestine, including me at that moment. And then a month later, so that was in December, and then a month later in January, Obama got elected. And pretty much right away, that's when my visa came. So I was like, okay, I got my visa. I went back to the United States. So it's more than coincidence. Well, everything came at the right place at the right moment. Believe that there's a lot of energies that take you to certain places. And it's really about listening. It's I feel that a lot of people spend a lot of time going against things, you know, because of reasoning or because of uh, desires of, or certain idea of what they think things should be. Or fears, maybe. Or fears as well, for sure. But I think if, if you listen to, to where 
the universe or the flow of things take you, it generally gives you a lot of uh, of good things in return. And I, that's what I've been doing all my life. And it's always worked very well for me. It's always taken me to very good places. So, How do you listen to these signals coming from the universe? How do you know that this is a good sign? Uh, well, generally, because it's not just one. Um, like I was saying with Palestine, it was over and over and over. It was something that kept coming uh, in the people that I would meet or in occurrences in my life. Uh, definitely, it's not like a one-time thing that you're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to leave everything for that. The same thing for Turkey. It was also for me, the decision to go to Turkey was because of this constant flow that was coming that was calling me there and saying like this is a good place for you to go I think there's also a certain reasoning you know like what is the the interest for me to go there um I mean you don't you don't want to listen to all the signs that could come uh because then it could be a lot of noise I think that if you feel that there's a good vibe coming from that that it it, it makes you feel that this could be something good for you. It's more It's more than thinking. It's coming in all your body. It's the feeling. It's your mind. It's a lot of things. Yeah, it's, I think it's a lot of things. It's listening to your mind and your heart. I think I'm a very logical person and I'm also very emotional. But I'm also probably a lot uh, more irrational than most people would do. Like, as I said, like I went to Palestine based on science and just because I kept on hearing about it. And, I, and, then, and then I went there, there with a backpack, literally. I had nothing. I didn't know anyone. And I just took up my backpack and I just went there. And I know that for a lot of people, that would be pretty crazy. It was for a lot of people around me at that time. I felt only good things coming from there. It I, It felt... You know, the, the the people I was meeting, they were good people. The things I was reading, they were good things. So I felt that this is something that would bring me an interesting growth. And it really did. For me, it's the country where I grew the most in the least amount of time. Would you like to share the kind of, of learning or growth you had in, in Palestine? It's pretty simple. It was my first experience in a third world country. Um, before that, I had been in different countries of Europe and I had been in the United States. And that's it. I had never been outside of that first world cushion. I think that when I went there, I had this very rosy point of view that we get in Europe or, in the, or including in, in, in the US, that there's black and white and many shades of gray, that... Um, You know, nobody's like, nothing is fully bad or you, I don't know, we, we make a lot of excuses for things, I think, because we are grown up, we grew up in this Disney world where there's always like, you know, the goods and, and the magic. I went to Palestine really wanting to be objective about things and saying that nobody's wrong. Of course, I had studied the conflict during my human rights master's, so I was aware. Like, I didn't, I didn't go there unaware of what was going on. I studied that conflict during my master's. Yes, there is no naive endeavor. <laughs> I wasn't going there as a naive, like, eh, nothing yes. is happening there. No, no, I, I knew exactly what was happening there. But I knew it from the media and I knew it from the books. 
And I think there's a tr- strong tendency in, in, in wanting to make everything academical, like as if a conflict could be something that is academic, where there's a different points of view and different versions of the truth and different, you know, and both sides are both right and wrong. And Situation is more gray than just black and white. To be honest, like that's when I, by the time I left, I had very much an opinion and my whole rosy idea of being objective really went out the window because you cannot be objective in a situation that has no objectivity to it. So it was very eye-opening and thought-provoking. Yes, to how much, how good we have it, (laughs) you know, in the first world. And also the fact that we are capable of thinking that there's no right or wrong, that, you know, there's an an explanation for everything and so on. That comes from the point of view of people who have the luxury of thinking like that. This is a luxury if you can if you can think this way. But not just Palestine, any uh, third world country that's truly struggling through conflicts, uh, whether it's a war, whether it's an apartheid, or whether it's any other sorts of conflict, I think it's um, you. You will find that this is n- not the reality. You will have uh, this balance. You will have some very strong inequalities. You will have things that are above unfair levels of unfairness that we don't envision. And I can say it because I. That's after that I went on to visit and live in more third world country. And I can tell you that we don't understand unfairness really, truly, because we have a legal system that works. We have things to protect us. Most of us, we have a family to fall back on or uh, friends. And imagining ourselves in a place where we don't have, there's no legal system where everything just relies on who's the strongest with the biggest gun, we don't understand that. I mean, at least for me, that was like the where I understood the, the, the difference between the academic and the reality. And if you live the reality and you tell me you can come back from a conflict like Syria or like Palestine or like many other, like probably South Africa back in the day and be objective, I would say you haven't really experienced it we live in within clear and quite safe boundaries in europe exactly we have it really good (laughs) we don't know it so you made your own truth based on the reality you observed on the ground i don't know if i made my own truth because honestly like I, i i don't think there's an absolute truth it's just like it's more that i shattered the idea of a truth i became a lot more critical. And I, and I think it changed my capacity of understanding beyond the complex, like the complexity of the world, that the world is so much more complex than we we see it when we're in Europe, where at the end of the day, there's, a, there's solutions for things, you know, and I don't think we have that level of complexity here. It may be part of your learning process to understand the complexity through facing difficult situations. That means situations not everyone would be ready to, to face. I think it's it makes you stronger. So it's worth it. It's it's worth it's not a loss. It's definitely a gain, especially if you have the luxury like I do to go back, you know. 
because that that's the reality of it. I came back to Europe eventually, have that that luxury, that capacity to to make that choice and to choose the cushion and to be like, yeah, I saw the complexity of the world and I saw everything that happens, and I'm good. I'm gonna go back to my little cushion. Thank you. It is true, you know. It's um, I. It might be a bit. I I would understand uh, people criticizing that completely. That's a choice that I made eventually. Tell me, is there a country where you found it particularly challenging to adjust culturally as a woman? Um, well, that would be Turkey. The reason why I felt it more complicated to adjust in Turkey, in Istanbul specifically, was more because that city in itself has so many cultural differences that you never knew what to expect. Where I was living, for example, I was living in Balat, and just from that street, if you would go up the street, you would be in an extremely conservative neighborhood. I'm talking with like completely covered women, men with turbans. That was just 200 meters up my street. And then you would go 200 meters down the same street, and you would have like little European coffee shops with, you know, like European people taking pictures. And that's constantly Istanbul. Just you can have two worlds that are so dramatically different, just a few meters from each other. Don't they collide? Oh yeah, they and they collide, of course. <laughs> we did we woke up one day, we opened it was very funny, it's a very funny episode. The the people from above, they had put everywhere in our streets, some uh, in, in the neighborhood, uh posters saying you're gonna burn in hell. And at the end of the street, all the way down, there was a, a liquor shop. Liquor shop in response to that, they made a whole display with like energy drink. It's an energy drink that's called burn. So they put all the energy drink in the display. It's called burn, burn, burn. <laughs> very provocative. So yeah, it, it's a very uh, funny story, but it's, yeah, it happens a lot in Istanbul. How did you position yourself in these situations as, as a foreigner? Well, um, in in the personal life, I didn't really position myself. I was just me and me, I'm a European. So I would, of course, spend most of my time in the European style places. But uh, I also went, uh, my, my, my husband is Syrian. So I, I also live that collision of worlds in my own home. And so I would regularly go uh, up the streets and go shop there or get, you know, like Syrian supplies, Syrian bread or things like that. When I, whenever I would go up, I would be a little bit more conscious of things. But definitely, generally in Turkey, for me, I would never have worn a skirt ever, ever. I never felt comfortable wearing a skirt or wearing anything revealing. So just in general... I adopted a more conservative way of dressing. I, I, know, I mean, I definitely never felt comfortable there showing skin. So uh, <laughs> that's something, you know, I, I, I naturally tended to do, even in the European neighborhoods. But at work, for example, it would happen all the time. I would have some clients that were extremely open, that probably went to schools in Europe that I would be very at ease with. And then I had other clients that when I would present a strategy for them, would not talk back to me directly. They would not even talk to me directly. They would 
ask a question to my boss and then my boss, you know, would be looking at me and I would answer the question. And we would have like this funny little triangle all the time where, you know, I would answer back, but they would talk to my boss. Did you feel it frustrating? Yes, for sure. It's very frustrating when you are working for someone and they want to look at you in the eyes. Of course, it's frustrating, but it's it's part of uh, being in a different culture. It's yes, cultural adjustment. You you adjust. They will not adjust to you, but you will as a foreigner, definitely. And how do you connect the spirit of adventure with with risk management? Because not all countries you went to were were safe. Well, from a European point of view. For me, I connected with from knowledge. Yes, it's true. I take a lot more risks than other people, probably. Uh, I'm adventurous, but I don't take things naively. I don't go to places, you know, thinking. Um, so I, I do spend time understanding the culture, at least, you know, having a, a first approach to that, uh, either through reading books or you know, watching some documentaries to at least have a sense of what I'm going into. Definitely like a certain level of research. And also I always use my connections. Wherever I went, I always like, even sometimes like very <laughs> weird connections. When I decided to go to Turkey, for example, I I remember that I had hosted back when I was in DC, I had hosted this guy for couchsurfing who was from Turkey. So I got back in touch with him and I said, hey, I'm going to Turkey. Is there any way you could host me? And he said, no, I don't live there anymore, but I'll put you in touch with, you know, some other girl. So I stayed with this person for a few days at the beginning. And that also allowed me to have, you know, a beginning of a, a piece of, of trust where, with someone that even though I didn't know, you know, there was some level of connection. So I think using your connections, even if they can be kind of remote, you know, it doesn't matter. But having that that base person that can at least show you a little bit of around that you're not completely, you know, stranded or using networks like Couchsurfing. I know now it's less, probably less um, useful as before, but back in, in, you know, 10 years ago, Couchsurfing was really big and it was a really good way to, to have that connection at the beginning. Nowadays, you have intonations uh, and, and probably many other groups that I'm not in tune with, you know, with the new ones. But intonations is also a group that I've used many times to, to create that base of people that I could relate to. Would you like to say just a few words for the audience who, who may not know what intonations is as a group, as an association? Sure. I mean, it's... So intonation is a group of, for people of that are living abroad to meet. So at least every single big city has an intonation group. So it's an online community. So you can just go online, intonations, you sign up, it's free. And then you, you know, say where you are. Hey, I am in, you know, in Istanbul. And then you can connect. They they have events that, that some Cities are more active than others. I mean, it really depends. But Istanbul, they were very active. So they would have, it's a professional network. I, I do have to mention that. It's it's mostly for 
it's not for Erasmus or like young people going to study abroad. It's, it's more for, for building professional work. network. Yes. Yeah. So the kind of events they would have would be a lot of uh, after office party or networking or also like more casual sometime, you know, even like book clubs or going to see an, expo- uh, an exhibit together. I think it's, these are very useful and I've always used them when I was traveling because you will meet people that are in the same situation that are going through similar things. They are new to the country and they can give you a lot of tips so they can share with you their initial experience. That's how, for me, that's how I manage risk. I manage risk by creating my networks of people and also, you know, having a subtle understanding of what I'm getting into before I get there. And connecting with people who are almost in the same situation as you are. So, you can share what you experience and that you create some sort of safe space. And it's important also to create, start creating trust with local people. It also helps a lot. Well, it's, it's a safe space, but it's also um, professional opportunities. Wherever I traveled, I also looked for a job or... So, so I never traveled having already the job. I always went there and then see what happened. So for me, it was also a way to you know, get to know professionals and potentially, or even, even if you already have your job and you're not specifically looking for a job, it's, it's still a very good way of creating those contacts that could lead you to, to something else. Or if you're trying to set up your own business, that's a very good way to start having, you know, clients. There's a lot of, of other aspects to it as well. So you create, you have created a very widespread professional network all over the place, all over the world. I, I did, of course, years go by and ages kicks in. You, you start reducing a little bit your circles. Everywhere I went, I met very fantastic people, people that have helped me along the way in, and many times in ways that I didn't expect at all. And when I then started to the business here, my own company, The first year, that's how, uh, actually, that's how I started the business, thanks to my contact, because I was able to get a project for a friend of mine in Italy, a project for a friend of mine in the US, and so on. So the first year, I pretty much um, lived out of my connections. Well, after visiting so many countries, what is your feeling now about being a foreigner? I think that everyone should experience being a foreigner at least once in their life. Um, because it's it's very empowering, you know. When you're a foreigner, you can do a, you can be and do a lot of things that are not sometimes allowed to people in their own country. But also simply like not being in your own country. I, I in my case specifically, I, I don't really have that sense of belonging somewhere where it's like that's my home country. But I think for people who, that's it, like they have this strong, like, okay, I feel that, I feel I'm French. Um, getting the perspective on what it means to be French from abroad, it teaches you a lot about what does that mean, really. That a lot of what people think defines them. Yes, it makes all reality. It really has nothing to do with culture in so many times. Like I've heard so many times people say, oh, no, because we Italian Italians do it this way, or we Americans. And you're like, everybody does it this way. Humanity does it this way. That has nothing to do with like, 
You know, so many cultures, they are so convinced that only their culture care about family. How many times in my life I have heard that sentence? No, because we Italians, we care about family. We Indians, we care about family. Discovering the how non-special you are and the universality of what you think makes you so special and then going abroad and discovering that actually, uh, yeah, lots of people care about their family. Lots of people are looking for love. Lots of people are trying to be successful. Like there's so many similarities between all of us. And then cultural differences are just tiny little adjustments that you have to make. But fundamentally, there's not that much that's different. Yes, there are more, in the end of the day, there are more similarities than cultural differences between us. And when people say we like family is important in our culture, I think what is important is what connects the hearts. Sometimes we get so uh, convinced that our culture means something when really these are traits that are shared by humanity in general and we're just humans and that's that's all we are. They are all little quirks which are your personality in reality. And what makes you feel grounded in the end? What makes your inner strength? Uh, inner strength? Oh, uh, um, I would say two things. I, I, I think that, as I mentioned before, I do believe in energies. And I've always found a lot of inner strength in that belief that I could sense what, what was the right path for me, where, where things felt good to go, where the energies took me. Uh, I think you can just call it a gut feeling. You know, that's what they try to tell you in so many, you, so many shows, you know, they say, trust your gut, you know, be yourself, go with your instinct. For me, it's bigger than that. It's trust your gut, but trust your gut within the energy, the flow of the universe, not just within yourself. Yes, trust your gut, but trust your gut as you as part of something bigger. If you try to be more aware of that you are only a little part of a universe that you can explore, that you can, you know, find, you know, take things from so many different parts of the world. You can find a certain, you know, humidity and sense of wonder. And I think maybe that's what is missing in that sentence, you know, is trust your gut, be yourself. That's true. But for me, I would add, be yourself and trust your gut as part of a universe understanding that you can explore that universe, that you belong in something bigger. Did all these experiences abroad help you clarify your life mission, what your life mission can be? Hmm. Because many people live their life doing things as they used to do them, study, work, found a family, and then... <laughs> And then get retired and so, but life can be something very different. And maybe sometimes out of your comfort zone, out of your native country and experiencing a very wide um, range of situations make you realize, well, show, show you a different life path. Does that make sense? Yeah, but in a, in a weird way, I think it did the opposite for me. Like when when I was young and when I first went to Palestine, 
you know, I, I was fresh from studying, from doing a master's in human rights. And I was very much like into this whole doing good, right? And helping people. I wanted to work for NGOs and I wanted to be a, a part of a solution. Yeah, helping in general. But the more I traveled and the more I experienced different things, the more I became aware of my non-mission, of my non-place in this universe, like of how unimportant it is that maybe, no, maybe we don't have a mission. Maybe we don't have to accomplish something. Now, my lifestyle is more about doing as little, having as little of a negative impact as I can, rather than, you know, thinking, oh, I'm going to have a positive impact and change the world. Now I'm I'm the opposite. I want to not change the world. I want to make sure I don't hurt it more than it's already being hurt. And I don't, that whenever I leave this planet, I didn't create, I didn't, yeah, I didn't have a negative impact. Enjoy it and just don't hurt. Don't. And be grateful for what we have. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's where I went back to. (laughs) (laughs) So, and we're slowly nearing the end of, of, of our interview. We were discussing about families and since you left your your home base, how do how do you connect and share your experience uh, with with your parents, with your friends? Because you are another person, you you evolved and well, it was very difficult at the beginning, uh, for sure. Like especially when I came back from Palestine, I definitely felt like a huge gap <laughs> uh, because I wanted to talk about my experience so much and people. They didn't, like, they had not lived that experience. So for them, it was, you know, they didn't want to know about it. or they, It wasn't interesting to them. So I felt very frustrated because for me, I had lived this amazing thing that had definitely changed me so much. But the the people around me, they had not changed in, in any way. And they were not able to understand what I was trying to say, like, for And for a lot of my friends, it was just so remote, so different. But eventually, I just accepted that that's not that was my experience, that I didn't have to be so wanting to share it with other people. That it was, you know, okay that if people wanted to do this experience, they would do it on their own. They would explore on their own. <laughs> you know, I didn't have to talk about it. If um, if people ask me. I will talk. If they don't ask me, then I, I mean, most people around me don't know about all my trouble because I've stopped trying to, I wouldn't say force it on people, but trying to pretend that it's relatable. But I, I, I guess taking a step back and accepting that, you know, not everything is so important, as important for the others as you think it is. It may create a sense of isolation, of loneliness sometimes. Um, less now, but yeah, for some time it did, for sure. But then you always end up like, like as I mentioned, with for groups like couchsurfing or like internations or there are many others, you find your own community of other people that are going through the same, you know, of travelers and third culture kids. So you end up, you know, finding bad people that will be able to understand you there. You know, if if that's the first time, let's say if you, you know, a 30-something woman who's going to go abroad to work for a few years, you're not going to come back the same. It's just not going to happen. But you're going to come back with 
added element and part of those added elements is going to be a new community of people that you will be able to share that part of your experience with so and, and as a, a last question this question i like to ask to all women i interview uh what can you suggest for early career women that could help them grow personally and professionally it might be a bit cliche but i think that the best advice i can give is is don't let fear be your driving force in fact you know like that movie yes sir you know where uh, <laughs> just say yes to thing uh professionally as well um especially young young people they tend to really want to work in what they studied but i think that it's not just traveling i during my travels i worked in every capacity possible you know i was a bartender i was a legal assistant i was you know whatever came my way because you have to be open you know to say hey let me just try this let me just try that and people um less normative you mean yeah less normative i know that society they tends to you know put these norms that you're supposed to do things a certain way and you're supposed to get married by 30 and you're supposed to have kids by a certain age which keeps on changing i mean 30 years ago you were supposed to get married by 22 or something so that's a very good proof that these things are not stable but anyway we still continue having those right we still continue having those things that you're supposed to do supposed to find a good job and we're supposed to have stability and we're supposed to have a good paying job. I was never led by money in any of my decisions. I never chose based on remuneration or how much I would be paid. I always chose based on like, hey, what's going to be fun? You know, what's going to be fun to do? Or what do I need? Like, I need money. What's available? I can be a bartender. Okay, I'm going to be a bartender. I mean, I need the money. Like, it's not like, you know, I wasn't Like I, I wasn't able to travel and just none of my travels were holidays. None of them. <laughs> I worked on every single one of my travels, you know. So, and that's another thing. Okay, that's a very good point. I had that also so many times where people tell me you have to be rich to do what you did. And that's absolutely not true. You don't have to be rich. You just have to be willing to do whatever it takes. So if whatever it takes means working in a coffee shop, until you find something better you're going to work in a coffee shop if it means taking small jobs or you know using platforms like upwork or freelancers you know nowadays there's so many online platforms for digital nomads where you can do anything you can translate you can create websites you can design stuff whatever your skill is you're going to find something that you can do yes trust your creativity nourish it and um, and go with the flow and don't be afraid of and don't be afraid i'm not going to pretend that it's easy traveling going to a country where you don't know people you don't know the language where you don't have a stable job of course it's not easy you're not going to go there sit and everything's going to come to you of course there are moments of loneliness of course there are moments of tiredness you know but for me it was always extremely worth it would you do it again of course i would do it again <laughs> it's because now i'm you know my husband is a little bit more stable than me but i'm ready to move to india like for me like i would move to india in a few years no problem <laughs> how do you see yourself within let's say five years 
want want to be in a place where maybe at least I don't move to another country because I really love Valencia and I love living here. But at least I could say like, hey, I'm going to spend six months a year, you know, somewhere else. Like I would love to spend six months in India. Just go there, you know, explore, see the, what's what's out there. And hopefully with my company, uh, I, I can work remotely uh, at times. So I will have that freedom. So that would be a very, a very good place for me to be at where my work allows me to have both the stable life of having a company, a place, uh, a, a base, but also you know, keep on exploring, keep on traveling. Actually, what makes your inner stability is much more than having a house is, is inside yourself. Yeah, of course. But it's always a work in progress, right? I mean, yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> Melina, thank you very much for this open and very spontaneous and thought-provoking conversation. And I wish you a good life. Well, thank you. Success and abundance and joy in your life. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for following us in this episode. Because an international experience can awaken incentives and reveal new aspects in women's identities, Women Abroad is the podcast that appeals to young women everywhere. Did you like this episode? Like it and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Google Podcasts and share it with your friends. You can also rate us and review us. Would you like to share your experience abroad? Whether you are a student, an early career woman or a more experienced professional, contact me on my page women underscore abroad underscore on Instagram and women abroad on Facebook. You can also listen to the episodes on my website, women-abroad-coaching.com. I wish you a great day and a bright life. Talk to you soon.